made here yet. It's fantastic. Like I just took two sips and it's just good. It's just good coffee. It's good for you and it helps all the money on the proceeds that we spend on coffee go right back into a program called Urban Ventures in South Minneapolis. And so man, drink our coffee so we can buy more coffee and invest into our city. But um, Man, we are in part five of a series that we've called Static, Hearing God's Voice Through the Noise. And what we've tried to do in this series over the last five weeks is we've tried to help equip ourselves to be able to hear God's voice clearly and above all others, even in the midst of the static of life. And this morning, we're going to be looking at hearing God's voice through the static of accusation. But before we do that, I want to, uh, right now, just in case I forget later, I want to invite you once again back next week as we kick off a brand new teaching series called On Purpose. And before we get into this week's message, I just want to show you the trailer for next week's series. So uh, check this out. We all want to be great, to have a purpose. The constraints of this world may hold us back. But what if we believe that we're not alone? What if we stopped trying to survive and made a decision to live? What would change if we knew we are right where we're supposed to be? It is not by chance. It's by design. Designed by the one who made us. What we have has been given to us. God blesses on purpose. What if all we had to do is believe every single day? Let's do this. So I am, I'm really excited for this series. I think it's going to be a, a great series for, for, I think, all of us individually, but as well for us as a church as a whole. But uh, So I'm really excited, so make sure that you come back next week. It's going to be great. But today, we're wrapping up this series, Static. And I don't know about you, but this has been a really encouraging and challenging series for me. I really hope that it has for you as well. And one of the things that, again, we've tried to, to do is be very honest and say that this side of heaven, Static is just something that you and and I are going to deal with on a daily basis. There are going to be moments where fear, insecurity, discouragement, and accusation become very present and very real in our lives, but hopefully we've been able to give you some tools and, and some areas of the Bible to go to when those moments come, and you will be able to hear God's voice louder and clearer than any of the other voices. I've actually needed to this entire week put into practice everything that I have talked about every single week. I've had to go back into my notes, re-look at them, re-read them, re-listen to myself preaching, and if you are a preacher, that is the worst, because you realize all the little things that you say continuously and not thinking about it, but man, I've had to put everything into practice just this week, and here's some of the verses that we highlighted during this series. Uh, first is going to be Philippians 4, 13, and it says this. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. If God has called you to it, he is going to give you the strength and the ability and the grace and the power to get through whatever he has brought you to because everything that we have is in Christ who gives us the strength. Romans 8.31 part B says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Man, whatever you are facing in your life, I want to speak this over you, that God is for you. And if God is for you, nothing stands a chance of coming against you because God is bigger than any problem. He's greater than any circumstance. And, and so if God is for you this morning, who can be against you? And then 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so again, this morning we're going to be talking about hearing God's voice through the static of accusation. And accusation is, if I could just give it a very basic definition, accusation is when you and I give Satan the day off and we take over his job for him. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says this. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan, the enemy of our souls, is described in Scripture as the accuser. That is his title. Like my title is pastor and Satan's is accuser because that's all he does. He is the one who brings accusations against you to God because, and I love this because this shows how weak and how much of a punk Satan is, he brings accusations of you to God because he knows that God has the final word. He knows that God has the final word. And I feel like this is a reminder for all of us this morning, but whatever power Satan has in our lives, whatever voice he has in our lives, it's a power and a voice that you and I have given him. So why do we continue to give power to someone who is powerless and, and, and we allow finality to someone who, doesn't, who knows he doesn't have the final word at all or any word, period? It's just a thought I was having this week is why do we give so much power to one who is ultimately powerless? Why do we give the final word in so many circumstances to someone who knows that God has the final word? See, the static of accusation comes when I lose at something and because I lost at something, that ultimately must mean that I'm a loser. Or when I fail at something, I must be a failure. Or when I make a mistake at anything, then it must mean that I must be a mistake myself. It's really the difference, guys, between guilt and shame. See, I think guilt can be good at some times. We're going to put some slides up on the screen. Guilt says that I regret what I've done, and I need to repair what's been broken and right what I've wronged. That's where guilt can take you. But shame will say, I regret who I am. Shame says, I regret who I am. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. And shame says, I am something wrong. There's a big difference. See, when I was growing up, there were phases that my younger brother Matt and I uh, went through in our relationship. And usually they were th those phases were just two, and they were this. We were inseparable and get away from me. Uh, we were either inseparable or just get away from me. And, and those, I think, were kind of normal sibling stuff. And during one of our inseparable seasons, we were leading worship at the church that we grew up at. And I was uh, leading and playing guitar, and Matt was playing bass. He's just one of those guys that's just good at stuff, and he's super annoying. And, he, and, and he's just good at everything he touches. I don't think I've ever showed you maybe a picture of my brother because he's not too easy to look at. But I'm going to put a picture up of, of me and my brother and my dad. 
I say, everyone, to throw that stuff. So this is my little brother, Matt. See, I told you, that's why I haven't showed it to him, because he's just the worst to look at. Um, this is us at a St. Saint Paul Saints game, uh, Father's Day gift, or some t- right? That was what it was? So that's us at a Saints game. So, that's, so let's take it down. Let's not, let's not hurt people's eyes. So that's Matt. That's Matt. Uh, <laughs> he's so good looking, it's annoying. Um, but anyway... So he's a, he was playing bass, I was leading worship, and we had gotten done with church for the morning, and we were walking around talking to people, and as we were in the habit of doing, as we're still in the habit of doing, and we were walking up to the stage to unplug our guitars, put our, put our stuff away, put our cables away, and we were intersected by a gentleman who met us at the base of the stage, and, and, I, and seriously, to this day, I could bring you to the exact place, I was actually there this past week, I, I was at the exact place where this guy intersected my brother and I, and then he proceeded to tell us how great the service was this morning, which it really was. It was a really great service that morning, and how it was so great to see two brothers so passionate about worship and serving the Lord together. And I have to take a pause here because this sounds very much like I'm humble bragging, but just know this, that it is about to just turf out so hard. Uh, So it's not a humble brag. Trust me, it's not. And then this gentleman proceeded to rub my belly and say the only thing that would be better is that if you, talking to me, looked more like him, my brother. And in that moment, I do what I always do when I agree in a very humorous fashion. I make a joke or I agree and I chuckle about it and as the rest of the morning went on, my brother clearly knowing that this bothered me, uh, we did, uh, he did what he could do to encourage me and we determined that from that point on we were never going to let anyone compare the, uh, the, each other to the other person again. And we totally had that moment where like at the end of sitcoms where they jumped in the air and they put their fists up and there was a freeze frame and there was just this like cool brother moment but the problem with that moment was the problem that, that existed before. See, the comments had already been put out there, and I spent more years comparing myself to my younger brother and accusing myself for not being him than I would like that I'm comfortable in sharing. And it's so amazing how quickly accusation in our lives can turn into condemnation. And one comment from somebody about my appearance and about my weight eventually brought me to the place where I, was, I determined that I was unlovable by people because I was not attractive nor physically or visually appearing as my younger brother. And if I was unlovable by people, then therefore I assumed that I could no longer be loved by God and because I, in all of human history, was the one whoops. I determined that I was the one mistake. You see, in his book, Boundaries for Leaders, Dr. Henry Cloud, he talks about how so many people will get into the habit and allow accusation and condemnation to drive their entire lives. He talks about the three P's of condemnation, and he talks about it saying this way. He says, condemnation is something that we all have to deal with. And here's typically what happens. We apply for a job that we don't get, and so we feel rejected. We try out for a sports team and we don't make the team or we have a bad review from our job and our brains begin to interpret that in a personal way. Why didn't I get the job? Why didn't I make the team? Why did I get such a bad review? It must be because I'm no good. Something must be wrong with me is often what we conclude. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first P when it comes to condemnation is is personal. Something must be wrong with me. We take a rejection, we take something that has gone on in our life, maybe in a way that we didn't expect or didn't see coming, and we take it personally. We attach it to who we are. The second P is pervasive. 
not only does this one single person think that I am fat and ugly, but it must mean that everyone thinks I'm fat and ugly. Now, I'm not sure why, uh, I'm not sure, I'm sure that I was made fun of for a lot of reasons in school. In fact, I could actually give you a lot of reasons why I should have been made fun of in school. But one of the things that, and one of the, the only ones that I really remember, guys, is when there were comments and jokes made that were attached to my appearance and my weight. See, I could tell you about the time in junior high when after summer vacation I had used those three months to build up the courage to talk to a girl that I had a crush on in the lunch line. Suave ladies, I know. And uh, lunch line conversations. And in the moment I had built up the courage to strike up a conversation, Matt Ramey, who is now a great guy, but at the time was kind of a douche, he steps in between, sorry Matt, uh, you were, but he steps in between me and the girl. (laughs) Oh, that just came out of nowhere. I usually have the internal sensor kicking in pretty good, but that one just snuck right by me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, hold on. (laughs) Just got to compose myself for a second. Holy moly. Uh, Matt Ramey, I'm just going to edit it. Who's really a great guy now? We're going to edit out that whole other thing, but steps in between me and the girl and says, you may want to lay off lunch today, Steve. It looks like over summer you gained an inch to pinch and pinches and holds onto you and shakes part of my stomach. I could also tell you about the time when I was a pastor on staff and we were getting ready for a women's conference and I was asked to be the fat comedic relief in a video. And after spending two hours alone in my car, psyching myself up to just even be on film in the video, but putting the, gra- the bigger picture in the front of my mind, filming the video, and then going home terrified because, oh no, what did I do? People are about to see this. I remember then they showed the video to the staff before the conference, and one of the higher-up pastors at the time after the video played said into the microphone in front of 40 people or so, he said, Steve Nyland, everybody, the only man with the perfect face for radio. And in that moment, I knew it. I knew it. Everyone thinks I'm fat. Everyone thinks I'm ugly. It's personal, and then it becomes pervasive. And then the killer, the third P, is that it becomes permanent. We start to say things like, I'll always be this way. I'll never be better. I'll never be more. Nothing will ever change. This condition that I face is permanent. You see, the reason that static, the static of accusation and condemnation are so dangerous is that they create a feeling of hopelessness in you and I that leads us to the conclusion that growth and change is impossible, so why even try? And so again, in this series, what we've tried to do is we tried to kind of even the playing field a little bit when it comes to the isolation that we can feel because we deal with fear and insecurity and discouragement and accusation and condemnation at times because we all deal with it at one time or another. And what I have hoped and I have prayed and I have been, and hopefully what I have been able to do is give you some tools to equip you to hear God's voice to the static and hear the truth about what God says about you because of what God says about himself. And the first truth that I want to give you today when battling accusation and condemnation is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it says this. It says, There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
See, this is the truth of belonging or the principle of belonging as as people often refer to it, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there is not a single ounce of condemnation that is in you or faced towards you if you belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're perfect and that we'll get everything right. It doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes or deal with sin. But what it does mean is that because of the blood of Christ and because we belong to Christ, we are no longer condemned because of our mistakes or our sins. I love what it says in the next verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, and it says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Guys, we deal with the static of accusation and condemnation because of sin. Sin that's done by us or sin that has been done to us. And what Paul is saying to the church in Rome, that in Christ our sins, yes, are forgiven, but Christ has given us freedom from sin. So why don't I feel free? Well, because freedom has to do with our identity. And when our identity for so long has been anchored in accusation and condemnation, freedom is actually terrifying. See, we understand forgiveness and we love the idea of freedom, but we don't allow the good news of our new identity to travel the 13 inches from our brains to our hearts, and so we never allow freedom from sin or mistakes to become our new identity, which in Christ it says is ours. It's not like, it's not that we like accusation or condemnation, we're just so used to them that they have become normal. And we default back to what we're used to, and in many cases, we still think we deserve. Jesus, today, is declaring to us that there is a better way, and it's the way of freedom. And so if you belong to Christ, you are no longer accused. You are no longer condemned. You have been set free because there is nothing like belonging. The second truth that I want to give you when battling accusation and condemnation is in Romans 8.15, and it says this. You have been adopted into God's family, so act like it. That's actually not what Romans 8.15 says. This is what it says. It says you should not act like people who are owned by someone. They are always afraid. Instead, the Holy Spirit makes us his sons, and we can call to him my Father. This is the truth or the principle of behaving. See, there's belonging, and then once you belong, there's a way to behave. And before you tune me out to the static of misunderstanding and assume legalism about everything that I just said, let me tell you a quick story. My cousin Aaron is one of my favorite people on the entire planet. He always has been. I remember this one time, and the reason he was my I was really into this movie Teen Wolf back in the day. And if you've never seen Teen Wolf, I believe it's on Hulu right now. So you can stream it, and you can watch it. It may not change your life, but it changed a a relationship I had with my cousin. And there was a scene where Teen Wolf surfed on top of a car to the Beach Boys uh, Surfing USA. And so Aaron, unbeknownst to my parents or his parents, drove me around standing up in the back of a pickup truck, blasting Surfing USA. So that is why Aaron is my favorite cousin. Because he let me break the law. Whatever. Anyway, Aaron is just one of my favorite people. And, and, and 
This was us actually about a month ago. I want to show you a picture of me and uh, my cousin Aaron and my uncle Paul and my, my two beautiful yahoos. But that's Aaron in the middle. Yeah, we're not related, right? And so Aaron is just one of my favorite people. And Aaron and his wife, Katie, have adopted 10 kids. Three sets of siblings. And I remember sitting around their kitchen island once asking, what's been the hardest thing about adopting all of these kids? Because you're not simply taking Kids, you're taking siblings from families, three different families, and putting them into your family. So you're basically taking four things and you're molding them into one. And I said, what has been the hardest thing about that? And he said that behavior with a few of them has probably been the hardest because these kids, the fact that they're alive, honestly, guys, is a miracle. These kids are the most precious people I have ever met in my life, and I cannot fathom in my brain how anyone could treat them the way that I know they have been treated. And Aaron told me about one time that one of his sons was acting out and it was progressing and it had gotten to the point where Aaron just didn't know what to do. And, it's, and he's a boy, so he does boy stuff, but this is just kind of behavior that was kind of escalating. And I remember Aaron saying it got to the point where there was just this moment of anger from his son, and then Aaron grabbed his son fast, and, or grabbed his son hard and pulled him in fast. And his son could only assume that Aaron was about to hit him or hurt him because that's all he's known in his life. And Aaron pulls him in close, And the way that Aaron says it, he goes, they just had a conversation. But the way that Katie tells it is, with tears streaming down Aaron's face, Aaron looked his son dead in the eyes and he says, you are my son. I love you. You are mine. And he said that it seemed like the fear of being rejection once again just seemed to fall off his shoulders because he knew that this was his forever family. It said it cha- he said it changed the way how his son behaved. Now, he was still a boy, and he still did crazy things, and he got, you know, while we were there, he got caught with a pocket knife, which I guess is not a thing, but so he's just a boy. We just do s- stupid stuff. At halfway to 50, our brains are still developing, so at 25, ladies, I'm just going to let you know we're still dumb, and so, like, there's this, you know, but he said that all of a sudden, He no longer considered himself an outsider and therefore began to behave like a nylon. It changed everything about his behavior because when you know that you belong, it will change the way you behave. See, God's not looking for perfection because he knows that we'll never achieve it. But do you behave like you're his? Or do you still behave like an outsider? I love what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says, and it says this, but solid food is for the mature whose senses are trained to practice and distinguish between good and evil. Now, I love baseball. I love baseball a lot. I love the Minnesota Twins a lot. Win or lose, they are my team. And one time I was at the Mall of America and Jen was running some errands and so I stopped by Caribou Coffee to grab some energy and grace for the shopping excursion ahead in the form of a large Americano. And while I was in line, I heard a very similar conversation between a father and a daughter that I have had with both of my girls. 
And all of a sudden, there was this no that came out of this little body that I was so reminded of in the moment of my three-year-old Addison. And as I started to turn to say, she sounds like she's three, as I finished turning, I am eye to eye with Mr. Minnesota, Mr. Joe Maurer, and I have a picture of that. And I was starstruck. At one point, as I'm trying to keep it cool in our conversation, I just blurted out, you're my favorite baseball player. I don't know where it came from, so I just continued to go with the creepiness, and could I take a picture with you? And so he pushed his wife and girls very far away from the crazy man, and he took a very, he's a very nice guy. Uh, But... It was such an, a great and embarrassing moment that I'll never forget. And, and, and here's what I was thinking this week. Do you want to know the difference between me and Joe Maurer? Obviously, besides the fact that he's catching up on the looks and all those different things. But the difference between Joe and Maurer is that he behaves like a professional baseball player. He goes through the practices He eats the right way. He he does all the exercises. He watches the film. I get to witness the culmination of Joe Maurer's hard work in his past, in his present, for his future, as I am sitting in a seat eating a hot dog. And he is behaving like a professional. It's his training and it's, it's, it's his behavior that proves why he's a major league all-star. The same goes for our life when it comes to following Christ. When we belong to Christ, our behavior changes or it should change. And then our habits change or they should change as well. We begin to train ourselves, like the Apostle Paul says, to run the race of this life following Jesus. And it takes training, not just in the beginning, but all life long. We train our eyes, we train our ears, we train our hands, our thoughts, our actions, so that they bring honor and glory and fame to Jesus. I hear that amen, Maddie. Thank you for preaching me down. Love her so much. Our thoughts and our actions bring honor to God. We go into training and learn to deny our sinful instincts and break bad patterns and habits so that we reflect the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control that is found in the person of Jesus. So that this world may know that you can live a great life without Christ, but the best life is with him. That's why we are so passionate at this church about being a place that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, no matter what your behavior is, we are so passionate to be a place for people to belong. That's why we changed our entire marketing strategy that we want to be known as Motion City Church as a place to belong. Because as we belong... I really believe that God begins to adjust our hearts and when we respond to him, like we said, our behavior changes, but our behavior changes not just for ourselves, but our behavior changes so that we can look behind us and see those who have yet to belong to the family of God. So our behavior increases the potential of people's belonging into the family of God so that they, once they belong, can turn and see those who have yet to belong. So our behavior pulls back into the process of belonging. And so as we conclude today, none of this makes a hill of beans difference in your life and in my life if we don't address a word 
a hot word a while back that we looked at, and that's the word belong. And so the question I have to ask you this morning is this. Do you belong to Christ? Because you see, Jesus came to this earth, died the death of a criminal on the cross, was buried in a borrowed grave, and rose again on the third day so that you and I could belong to the family of God. And when you belong, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. So, do you belong to Christ? Have you placed your faith in him? And are you walking closely with him? For some of you, you've never made a real decision to surrender your life and heart to Christ. You've always thought of it as a, well, if I get around to it or if the situation gets bad enough, maybe then I'll turn to Jesus. But can I encourage you this morning that it's the best decision that you could ever make? It's not that your life gets any easier, but you've got someone to walk with you through all the difficulties and joys and ups and downs that life has to offer. To give your heart and your life to Christ and then to follow him is the greatest decision you could ever make. And for some of you this morning, your faith is in Christ. You've placed your faith in him, but over time and because of experiences, you've grown distant. The static of life has gotten too loud and you've allowed the static to pull you away because you become more focused on the static than you have on the voice of God. And so this morning as we conclude, I'm going to pray. And I want to pray for these two specific groups of people. And and what I want to encourage you to do is this. Wherever you're at, and you feel the love in this moment and the grace and the invitation of Christ to either enter into a relationship with him for the first time or you feel him calling you back to the family table, as I pray, I just want to invite you to respond accordingly. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer because here's the deal. There's no power in a raised hand or a a repeated prayer. But there's power when you yourself make the decision to surrender your life to Christ. And so I'm just going to pray. And wherever you're at, I just want to invite you to respond accordingly. So Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful for the fact that when we are yours, there's no longer condemnation, there's no longer accusation, there's just freedom and belonging. And so God, right now in this moment, God, I believe that you are beginning to work on hearts. Holy Spirit, you are beginning to, as you can only do, draw people to you. And so God, for this first group of people, Father, I pray for those, God, who have yet to make that decision to place their full faith and trust and life into your hands. Father, I ask for those people that they would surrender control of their life that is out of control without you. And God, they would give you permission to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Father, I pray for those who are asking you to come into their life, to come into their heart, to make them new. Father, I ask that they would begin to physically feel the accusation and condemnation just fall off them. And God, would you give them freedom? Would you give them a sense of belonging, that they, are, that they belong at the family table? Father, we thank you that you are still in the business of saving us. And God, I pray for those in this place, 
who have placed their faith in you, but God, based on life circumstances or situations that maybe they've never shared with anybody before, they've grown distant. Father, I pray that your grace and your kindness and your love and your mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to draw them back to their seats. That, God, you're not a person who gives up their seat when people leave, but, God, I really believe you saved those seats at the table. So, God, as you begin to draw those who have been distant back to you, God, may they feel once again the joy in their spirit of what it's like to be with family. God, I thank you so much for this series. Father, I pray, Lord, that the things that we've learned about, the things that we've been putting into practice, God, would not simply end here. But God, we would continue to put them into practice every day of our lives until we see you face to face and everything's made right. But until then, we're going to deal with stuff. And we'll never be able to deal with it well unless we deal with it with you. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. You love us so well. It's your name I pray.